Hey, you! Yeah, you, you're going to hell. Hey, buddy, I might see you at church later today. No? All right, well, then, then enjoy hell, I guess. Yeah, I get up every morning pretty early and uh, come up here and share the good news from my rooftop. Hey, Baldy! No, Baldy Locks. Jesus loves you, babe. I, I think the rooftop is a perfect place to win souls for Christ. Um, you know, when you're up here, it's easy to look down on people and see all their shameful ways and to yell at them to change those ways. And they listen because I'm a voice from above and they respect that. Guys, have you heard of Jesus Christ? He's your personal Lord. No, He is your personal Lord and Savior. I, have you asked Him into your heart? Do you, do you want to chat? I have a Bible up here. I'll throw one at you. I, I haven't saved anyone or led anyone to Christ personally, but I'm pretty sure that I've saved thousands. Excuse me, sir, put those cigarettes down. Those are bad for you. Your body is a temple that Christ gave you as a gift in order for you to live this life and find out that salvation is here for you. If you just accept them into your heart. Go down there? Why would I go down there? It's filthy down there. It's full of sinners. No. Uh, my place is up here. I belong up here doing God's work. Would you like me to pray over you? Where are you going? Come. All right. Good luck in hell. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the neighborhood. I forgot all the words from my childhood. <laughs> Would you be mine? I'm gonna put on this card again. I'll probably never wear one again. <laughs> Would you be mine? Would you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I don't know all of you, so maybe that's not true. <laughs> that was funny. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? How's that to a start of a sermon right there? What'd you expect, right? We're starting a brand new sermon series today called Won't You Be My Neighbor? We had to do something like that to have some fun. Um, what's ironic is I told my daughter this morning, she came early to church with me, I said, I'm going to sing a song for Mr. Rogers. She said, who's Mr. Rogers? <laughs> I have failed as a parent. And so I came in here before church started, nine o'clock in the morning. We were here about, you know, seven o'clock and I was meeting with some other teenagers that were serving on the production team. I told them we're doing Mr. Rogers and they said, who's Mr. Rogers? And so I got my iPhone out, which they knew that, and I opened up YouTube, they knew that, and I showed them Mr. Rogers, so now they're all enlightened uh, to what many of us grew up with. So if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. I promise you we don't normally start off our sermons uh, like we just did. I want to say hello to those of you uh, watching on video as well. If you're online, uh, live with Facebook or our live church online platform, uh, click the share buttons available. It's a great way to spread the word about what God's doing here at Element 
Element Church. And whether you're here in the service in person or joining us on video, we're thrilled uh, that you are here with us today. Uh, I do want to say thank you for attending the 6 p.m. service. Apparently, we should barbecue every week. This is awesome. Uh, so thanks for coming. And I would encourage you to keep attending this service as we head into our Easter season and beyond. Uh, it creates more space for us in the morning services if you choose to attend this one. The majority of our guests do come at the 9 or 11 a.m. service. So thanks for coming, uh, and I hope you'll come back even if we don't cook food for you next week. I am super excited about the series we're starting today, and it's going to go all the way through or up to Easter Sunday. And this series is all about evangelism, but hang with me. I know that whether you believe in Jesus, whether you follow Jesus or not, just the word evangelism, the idea of evangelism, comes with lots and lots of baggage, right? Like many of us, especially if you're an introvert like me, like off the platform, I'm a very introverted person. So, so many of us, when we hear the word evangelism, we immediately break out into cold sweats, like we get visions of, of going door to door and telling people about Jesus uh, or handing out pamphlets that ask the question, where would you go if you died tonight? Uh, or, or standing on the street corner or perhaps on a rooftop like the video we saw with a sign that says turn or burn or a bullhorn where we're just yelling at hellfire and brimstone at people, right? So the visions we get, we think about evangelism, but evangelism is way more than what we say or even how we say it. In fact, I think what we say is perhaps the least important part of evangelism. So the whole foundation for this series is born out of one conversation that Jesus had with a lawyer, and no, that's not a start to a really bad joke. He really did have a conversation with a lawyer. So in Luke chapter 10, Luke's the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, Luke chapter 10 records this story between a conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. So it says this in Luke 10, 25 through 29, one day... An expert in religious law, some translations call him a lawyer, most likely he was a religious leader who focused on the law of God, studied the law of God, defended the law of God, and upheld the law of God, making him a lawyer for God's law. One day this lawyer stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We know this as the great commandment. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So next week, we're going to look at Jesus' answer to that question, and it's brilliant. But I wonder today if the lawyer asked the wrong question. That the question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question we should be asking is, how can I be a good neighbor? That's the question we should be asking. I think that's the core of evangelism, is being a good neighbor. That if we truly, as followers of Jesus, if we truly lived out the Bible's command of being a good neighbor, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves, if we would truly do that, I think there would be parts of the unbelieving portion of our world who would look at those of us who follow Jesus, and they may not say it out loud, but perhaps they'd feel it in their spirit, won't you be my neighbor? 
I think people are looking for neighbors like what we see here in scripture. They want neighbors like that. Now, you might be here and you're thinking, I'm not a follower of Jesus. So what does this series, what does this sermon mean for me? And yes, in the series, we are really going to be pressing in on those of us who do believe in and follow Jesus, how we can be good neighbors, how we can evangelize with our attitudes, our actions, our words, and even more than that. But if you're not a believer, first of all, we are so glad you're here. I mean that. We'd love it that you are here. And if you're not a believer, you actually get to see for yourself what the Bible expects out of those of us who do believe in Jesus when it comes to how we live, how we act, how we neighbor. And hopefully you will see in us here at Element that we are getting progressively better at this. Okay, we're not perfect at being neighbors, but I hope you'll see we're getting better at this. And I can't promise you that you'll agree with every position we have here at Element Church. In fact, you probably won't, and that's okay. And I can't promise you that every Christian you'll encounter here will be a great neighbor to you. But what I can do is say that I think it is our responsibility as Christians to lead the way in this, to lead the way in being good neighbors, loving God, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And here's why this is so important, okay? Here's why we're even doing a whole series on evangelism. I read a book called Unchristian, and it was eye-opening book. It was written by two Christian guys, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons. They work for the, the leading Christian research group in the world, Barna Research Group. And in the book, they unpack the details of extensive research that was done on the non-Christian perspective of Christians in America today. And it was clear, and probably not surprising to any of us in the room, but it was clear through this unpacking of research that there is a growing hostility and, and a growing negative perception of Christians from a non-Christian part of our world. Now, to be fair, not every perception that they have of Christians was negative, okay? There were some positive ones as well, and, okay, regardless of any argument or any answer that we have to those negative perceptions. Because we are great as Christians at hearing what someone perceives us to be and then telling them why they're wrong. Okay? Regardless of our answer to the perception, it doesn't change the fact that there's a real perception, at least, whether it's true or not, a perception negatively that people are having about Christians. And I can't go through like every specific negative perception. The book will walk you through that if you wanna read it. It's called Unchristian. But here's just a kind of a summary statement that they made in the book that I think kind of leads into our topic for today. The primary reason outsiders feel hostile toward Christians and especially conservative Christians is not because of any specific theological perspective. So they don't view it, whether again, we answer, we have our answers to this, I know, but they don't view it as a belief issue. What they react negatively to is our swagger, how we go about things, and the sense of self-importance we project, okay? So this whole good neighbor thing, I think, starts with our attitude, with the sense of self-importance that perhaps we project. Now, we could talk about actions, and we will. In the series, we'll talk about, we can talk about words and we will in the series, but actions and words flow out of the attitude of our heart, right? They flow out of the attitude. That if I'm going to be a good neighbor, 
If I'm going to live the kind of life where someone could watch me and say, I want them to be my neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? I better have the right attitude in my heart. And that's what we read in the book of Philippians in the New Testament portion of the Bible. So Philippians was originally a letter written to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi. What's ironic is the guy who wrote this letter, his name is Paul, he wasn't always writing letters for Jesus to Christians. In fact, he started out hating Christians. He viewed them with a very negative perception, yet Jesus changed his life and his attitude, and now Paul is not not hating Christians, but encouraging them through this letter we know of as Philippians, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 4. It says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Those are rhetorical questions, by the way. He's not really asking for an answer. He's saying the answer to those is yes. Is there encouragement from belonging to Christ? Absolutely there is. And, and the answer is yes to all those. And so he says this, then, since the answer to all those is yes, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest. There's perhaps that self-importance we project. But take an interest in others too. That's heavy. Like, What we just read is what we call uh, officially in the theological world. Like you might want to write this statement down because it's it's super specific and it might help you remember some things. But that what we just read is what you call in theology an oh crap moment. Okay, super specific and spiritual, I know, okay. Because when you read that, you think, how am I supposed to do this, right? If you're anything like me, go back through those things we are called to do. Don't be selfish. Guilty right? Don't try to impress others. And we're thinking, why wouldn't they be impressed? I mean, come on. (laughs) Be humble. You know what the problem with humility is? The problem is even if you are humble, you can't tell anyone. (laughs) Like if I'm humble, I want people to know that I'm humble, which is a sure sign. I'm not very humble. (laughs) Then it says, think of others as better than yourself. That's hard to do when you know they're not. (laughs) And then take an interest in others, and we're thinking, why aren't they taking an interest in me, right? I mean, we read that, we think, how do we do that? Well, the answer's in the very next verse. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And that's even harder. That's even harder. Now, we tend to focus on the actions of Jesus, right? Live like Jesus, love like Jesus, act like Jesus, But Jesus lived a certain way and loved a certain way and acted a certain way because he had a specific attitude in his heart. Now, we're great in Christianity at dealing with the symptoms. We deal with actions. But before we deal with actions, we must first deal with the heart, with the attitude. If we don't deal with the attitude in the heart, we're going to be frustrated as Christians because we're always trying behavior modification, but behavior is not the problem. The heart's the problem. So here's the big idea for today. It's going to drive everything else to talk about. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. That to act like Jesus, we first need to have the same attitude as Jesus. 
To act like Jesus, which we're called to do, we first need the same attitude as Jesus. So again, if I'm supposed to have the same, not a similar one, the same one, if I'm going to have that, then here's the big question I think we have to ask. How can I have the same attitude as Jesus? How is that possible? And we're going to find out in Philippians 2, we're going to continue reading here, verses 6 through 11. So if you already got your Bibles open, stay open to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's on the screens as well. We always put it up there, although I encourage you to bring your Bible. And if you happen to be here and you don't own your own Bible, man, we, we give them away. Uh, and we'll give them away until there's no more Bibles or no more money to buy them. And you can, you can um, ask, one, ask for one at guest services on your way out. We'll give you a free Bible because we want you to have God's Word in your hands. Now, you might be thinking... This is impossible, right? I, I, I can't have the same attitude as Jesus. So let me kind of pause here. We're going to take the exit ramp off the freeway. I'm going to address something, and then we'll get back on, okay? So let me stop here. I just want to encourage us, okay? This is good. I hope it encourages somebody. That God will never ask us to be what is impossible to become. And he will never ask us to possess what he is not able to provide. That if God expects us to be like Jesus, then he will enable us to be like Jesus. And if he, if he commands us to have the same attitude as Jesus, then he will create that in us. That what God calls us to, he always creates within us. What a horribly sadistic God, by the way. To say, this is what I'm commanding you to be, but sorry, you can't get there. It's a sadistic God. To watch us wallow around not living the way he expects us to. Always feeling guilty for the way we live. In fact, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 addresses this very thing. Paul, same writer of Philippians, wrote Ephesians, God speaking through him, says this. Instead, let the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and what? Attitudes. So we need a spiritual work to be done. That only God can do, renewing my thoughts and my attitudes, which I believe lie in my heart. So God does a work in me, but I work in partnership with God. This is the next verse. Put on your new nature, that's my work, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Isn't that good? So how do I have the same attitude as Jesus? Okay, That, that God does a work, but I work in partnership with God. And this is part of the working in partnership. There are some things that I need to do. And number one is this. I got to give up my privileges. Got to give up my privileges. So continuing on here, Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, we just finished verse 5, which said you must have the same attitude as Jesus. And now he's going to keep on talking about Jesus and says this, though he was God, and just to emphasize, he still is God, Amen. What Paul was saying was before Jesus came as a helpless infant, God in the flesh, before that, he was God. He always has been God, always will be God. So though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine, what's that word? Privileges. Give up his privileges. So the, the original language here that this was written in, it was written in Greek. Obviously, I can't read Greek. I only know like two people in my life that can. And so I looked it up what it means. And that Greek phrasing here for giving up his privileges literally means to empty out, render void, be without recognition, perceived as valueless. 
that though he was God, the one most worthy of recognition, the one who held the most value. He did not think of equality with God as something to, to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself, gave up his divine privileges. Jesus was God, yet did not hold on to the privileges of God. We are not God, amen? But do we not hold on to our privileges? Maybe you've heard this before. I have rights. If you have a teenager, you heard it this week. And so I tell my teenagers, no, you don't have rights. You live here rent-free. You're welcome. Right? That's what you should say to teenagers. I deserve to be treated a certain way. If I do something for them, they better do something for me. They're going to treat me that way? Man, they done messed with the wrong person. I will snap my fingers in a Z formation. <laughs> Just embarrass my kids, that's awesome. But I sang Mr. Rogers, so who cares? Listen, Jesus, this is so huge. Jesus was able to live without expectation from people because he gave up his divine privileges before he ever came. Can you imagine being able to live without expectation? Woo! No expectation to be treated a certain way by anyone. Wow. No expectation of receiving a certain gift at any time. No expectation to be acknowledged for what I did or what I'm doing. No expectation to receive anything from anyone. No expectation for equality. Listen, I'm not talking about racial, social, ethnic, religious. No expectation for me to be treated the same way that anyone else is treated. That when my employee gets, my, when, my, when my coworker gets this, I better get that or better. Right? Isn't that how we operate? I, I, I have rights. I've got some privileges. No, I need to empty myself. And, okay, not stay empty, be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Be filled. So Paul continues, verses 7 and 8, about Jesus says this, He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now I've talked at length before about the incredible absurdity of God becoming human as Jesus. It's absurd. It really is. I've tried to illustrate it in a number of ways. I don't have time to rehash all those illustrations. So just, just to kind of get our minds tuned in here, I want you to try to think of the worst possible thing on planet Earth that you think you could become. You're going to trade in your humanity for something else. What's the worst possible thing? I don't know what it is for you, but think about that. Maybe it's a spider. Maybe it's a snake. Um, maybe it's a New England patriot. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> I'm just spitballing. I don't know what it is for you, okay? I want you to think about the worst possible thing. That was funny. Think of the worst possible thing you could become and then the fact that you would die to save all those things and it still doesn't come close to what Jesus did. It doesn't come close. That Jesus created us, all of mankind, 
And then we, every one of us, through our sin, we held up our right hand to God and told him he was number one, if you know what I'm saying. But even though we did that, he still, because he loved us so much, came as one of us, died because of us, rose victorious so that any one of us, those same ones who gave him the spiritual middle finger, could put our faith in him, be forgiven of our sins, given new life today, and eternal life with him in heaven, that Jesus gave up his position in heaven to give us a peace of heaven now and a place in heaven forever. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. So to act like Jesus, I first need the same attitude. I gotta give up my privileges. Number two, we see it here. We just talked about it. I gotta give up my position. Give up my position. Philippians tells us that Jesus took the humble position of a slave that he, he gave himself, literally gave himself up for us, served us unconditionally. Listen, whether he got anything in return. Like you realize Jesus died for you whether you accept that death or not. That he died knowing millions would not accept his gift. But he gave it up. So that's what Jesus tells us we're supposed to do too. Just give up our position. Mark 10, another eyewitness account of Jesus, Matthew, then Mark in the New Testament, one of the Gospels. Mark 10, 35 through 37, then 41 through 45, records this encounter that James and John, two disciples, have with Jesus. And it's, I want you to see how this plays into our topic. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. That's Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. So we want some privileges. Jesus. What's your request, he asked. He already knew, by the way, he's God. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want you to sit in places, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. So not only do they want a privilege, they wanted a position in his kingdom. So verse 41, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. In the Gospel of Luke, it records the same story, but Luke says the disciples began to argue among themselves about who was the greatest. Think of the irony. It's like a bunch of kids. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. They were in the presence of the best, Jesus. So they're arguing, who's the greatest? And Jesus called them together and said, you morons. Okay. <laughs> That's what we would say. Jesus is more loving than that. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, we all want to be, I want to be the leader because there's great privilege. No, whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, I want to be first. Well, if you want to be first, you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Hello. So Jesus says, no, you, you want privilege? You want position in my kingdom? Okay, you want to be a leader? Then serve. And you want to be first? Then be a slave. So let's deal with those two words, servant and slave, okay? 
Again, written in Greek, we don't get the full meaning of these words translated into English. So the word servant literally means a waiter. But properly speaking, I love this definition. It means this, to kick up dust by moving in a hurry in order to minister to someone. Isn't that cool? And then the word slave. Now, slave in our culture, right, is a very powerful and painful word, right? But I want you to see what this word slave, again, the, the, the disciples hearing this would have known what this word meant. The word slave here properly means someone who belongs to another, a bond slave, get to that in a second, without any ownership rights of their own. So here's what's really cool about this bond slave word. A bond slave was rarely someone who was a slave by capture. They were almost always a slave by choice. That they willingly belonged to someone else. In fact, a bond slave was most often someone who so honored the master, okay, if you want to call him that, again, in our connotations, very painful, powerful word, but they so honored this person that was their master, they willingly surrendered to them, giving up all rights of their own until the day they died. That's a bond slave, okay? So not the only picture that Jesus is painting, but part of the picture here that he's saying is, if you want to belong to my kingdom, if you want to be in the position that I'm in, then, then you better give up your position and kick up some dust, looking for an opportunity not to serve someone, but serve anyone who comes your way. And you should serve them in such a way that if someone saw you serving them, it would appear as if you actually belonged to them. Wow. Wow. Doesn't that fly in the face of our humanity? It just flies in the face of our humanity. Like we're always looking for ways to be served, for, for us to advance, for us to be promoted, for us to be lifted up, for us to be honored. But Paul tells us, no, your attitude must be like Jesus, that he gave up those privileges. Any rights he had as God, he surrendered them willingly. He gave up his position, coming down as one of us, serving us, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which leads right into the last couple of verses here, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, which says this, Therefore, that word's powerful because it means because of everything you just read, that because he gave up his privileges, because he gave up his position, because of that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen? So to act like Jesus, I first got to, have the same attitude as Jesus. How do I have that attitude? I gotta give up my, my privileges, my, my, my position. Number three is this, I gotta give up my purpose. Give up your, your purpose. Here's what I mean by that. It's easy to serve when there's something in it for us, right? It's easy to serve when there's something in return. Like if I know I serve that person, they're gonna serve me, like, you know, the whole adage, uh, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, vice versa. You know, it's, it's easy. That's not what Jesus did. I mean, I already told you, he, he died in your place whether you accept it or not. It counts on your behalf when you receive that. But he loved you enough to die for you knowing that many of us would reject him, receiving nothing in return. He, now, now, he did receive honor, 
but not of his own doing. God gave that. The Father gave it. He got his position back, but he let God give that to him. And friends, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day. And he, he got his privileges back, but only through surrender. The, the very things we strive for, honor, privilege, possession, God gave them all to Jesus, but not till the end. Not till he finished the task he was sent to do. Now, did you know that God will give you honor as well? This is super cool. God will give you honor too. 1 Peter 5, 6, this amazing verse says this, so humble yourselves, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the exact time you want it, he will lift you up in honor. Right? Hmm. At the right time. And when's the right time? Only he decides. Only he decides. And I, I don't understand the sovereignty of God. I was having a great conversation with someone in our church this last Monday, but the sovereignty of God, I don't, I don't understand it, the, the whole God in control thing. So I can't explain why there appears to be some people while on the earth, God lifts them up in honor. And others, it just seems like, you know, that doesn't come on this side of eternity. And I'm going to be honest, for most of us, we're not going to receive honor on this side of eternity. But I'm telling you, there's two words I want to hear on the other side of this life. And there are these two words, well done. Well done. And can you imagine? Like whenever that time comes where we cross from this life to the next and we're standing before God and we hear Jesus, our Lord, our master, say, well done, Jeff. Like, good job. I was cheering for it. Like I knew you could do it. I was with you all the way. Well done. And we we're going to stand there and be, oh, my goodness. I, I didn't know you were this amazing. And every honor we receive, we will lay it back down at his feet and we'll worship and honor and glorify our God forever. We'll be in so much awe of who he is. Well done. I want to hear that. And if that's the only honor I ever receive, that's good enough for me. Good enough for me. And you won't be thinking, man, how long do I got to live this way? <laughs> this is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. This is not something we do, church. This needs to be who we are as his children. That I give up my privileges. It's not about me. I give up my position. That I, I, I belong to everyone else. And I give up my, my purpose. That, that my purpose in being a good neighbor, my purpose in loving God and loving others is not about me being lifted up. It's about the honor and glory and praise that we can give to our God. That perhaps somehow, some way, the way that we live can point people to the only one who can save them. Point them to Jesus. Is there any, any encouragement from being united with Christ any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. Then love one another. Work together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine if just the Christians in our church began living this way? Like, I'm telling you, if just us began doing this, there would be employers in our city who would start saying things like, I don't necessarily agree with what these Christians believe, but I want to hire more of them. They are amazing. They're amazing. There would, I'm telling you, there would be dads. This is so amazing to me. There would be dads of daughters who would say, I'm, I'm not buying this whole Jesus thing yet but I hope my daughter marries one of God's sons because they blow me away. They blow me away. It would happen in our schools. It would happen in our sporting teams. It would happen in our military. Literally, if Christians would live the way we are supposed to, right? Not getting it perfect, admitting when we're wrong. I'm telling you, there'd be people who would say about us, won't you be my neighbor? I want a neighbor like that. Church, I want to live that way. I want to live that way. Now, I don't know how you came into this place today, how you're living your life. Maybe you're even here today. And you would say, man, Jeff, this is awesome. Awesome talk about being a good neighbor, but I, I've never even put my faith in Jesus. So, so what, what do I do? <laughs> and here's what you do. You put your faith in Jesus today. And perhaps you came today and for the very first time, you, you are, you're feeling the reality, the weight of your sin. And, and you know, you know that Jesus came for you. For the very first time, you're realizing this. And there's, there's something happening like in, inside of you. You're feeling like this tug. Can I tell you something? That's the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's just drawing you. He's, he's pulling you saying, Hey, listen, I haven't given up on you yet. Would you come home to me? Would you come home? I won't give you that chance today. So if, if that's you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer here. I want you to just say this prayer with me. But you can say it silently between you and God, okay? So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you, just repeat this silently to God. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died in my place for my sins. And so Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. Forgive me of my sin, all of it. All of it, forgive me. Wash me clean, make me new. Please come into my heart. Help me to live like you, to love like you, to have the same attitude as you. And, and when I fall, God, I'm gonna come running back to you and I'm gonna pick back up where we left off. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back in Jesus' name. Amen. You can look around. We've had people all today acknowledge that's me. I just asked Jesus in my heart, so I'm going to give you a chance as well. It's very bold, but you're among friends. It's a safe place to do this. If you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, would you boldly just lift your hand up, leave it up? So that's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen, 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 yeah, wow, amen, praise God, amen, yes, 
Yes, amen. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Unbelievable, guys. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. And if that ever becomes old for us, we need an awakening from God. That's amazing to me. So proud of you that did that. Listen, it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest one that you'll ever live. So we created a tool to help you take your next steps with Jesus. Okay, it doesn't end there. That's the beginning, right? Now, a, now you got to start walking with Jesus. There's a next step devotional called 21 at guest services. Ask for one. We'll give you one for free. It'll get you reading in the Bible and taking next steps in Jesus, okay? Also, if you would please mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart, I promise we will not come to your house and peek in your windows or, in, or that. Okay, it's going to be weird. We just want to know that you did that, okay, to stand with you. I love you guys. Uh, I love you guys. And I'm excited for this series. It's going to be good for me. I pray it'll be good for our church as well. Let me pray for you. And then remain in your seats if you would. Taylor's just got two quick things to remind you of. Lord, you're so good. And God, new life is so exciting. It's just so exciting to see people cross that line from death to life, that, Lord, they went from dead in their spirit to life in their spirit. That's just a miracle. And we thank you, God, for that. Lord, for myself, not, not even for anybody else, Lord, for myself, I pray, because I need this. I needed this message today. I pray that I would have the same attitude that Jesus had. Lord, help me give up my privileges and my position and my purpose. And, Lord, when I fail in that, Lord, may I quickly, may I quickly confess and get back with you. Lord, thanks for loving us, for dying for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.